This is the Iowa State Athletics SciCast. This SciCast is brought to you by Van Wall Equipment. Visit any Van Wall location today to test drive the full lineup of John Deere compact utility tractors, which have the power and versatility to conquer anything this season. Hi everybody, I'm John Walters. Today's SciCast is a visit with Cyclone basketball legend Hank Whitney, a former All-Big 8 player from New York who went on to a successful professional career. This Friday, Whitney will be inducted into the Iowa State Athletics Hall of Fame. We hope you'll enjoy our visit with Hank Whitney. Well, Hank, a few years ago, you were inducted into the New York City Basketball Hall of Fame, and now it's the Iowa State Athletics Hall of Fame. Just tell me what it means to you to know that you are now going to be a part of this Iowa State Hall of Fame class. It is, it is quite an honor, especially being inducted into the school that you graduated from, Iowa State, and at this point in your life that you're being placed into the Hall of Fame of a, of a prestigious school. That's quite an accomplishment. came to Iowa State from, from Brooklyn, New York. I'd love for you to share the story about how, how Bill Stranigan discovered you and how you ended up coming to Iowa State. As a high school athlete, I really was forced into playing basketball by my high school coach, Mr. Pierce. He had threatened to fail me if I didn't come out for the team. And I sort of, yeah, I'm not going out for the team. When I didn't show up, he, he said, you know, you're failing. And if you don't come out today, we have practice at 3, at 3 o'clock. You don't come out, I'm failing. And I'm saying, I was like, how can you fail me? I'm doing very well in phys ed. At any rate, I didn't want to tell my mother I, I'm failing health ed. So I went out to practice and, and made the team. And lo and behold, fell in love with the game. Even though I played it in the neighborhood, you know, you know that kids would play basketball, baseball, touch football. And I, and I always played basketball in the neighborhood. After making a team and playing, matter of fact, he put me on a starting team, and I couldn't understand why, but I guess he saw something that I didn't see. And uh, in my junior year, we went to Madison Square Garden. Every year, the PSAL, Public School Athletic League, had the playoffs. And this was the first time that my school had gone to the uh, playoffs at Madison Square Garden since 1939. Ironically, the year I was born. And I never forget, it was such a big thing. During that junior year, I was receiving a lot of letters from, from schools, NYU, St. John, Wagner, Northern Illinois, Florida A&M, Knoxville, you know. And my coach said, you know, this is an opportunity for you to uh, get a college education. College education? I only thought we went up to high school. <laughs> Lo and behold, fell in love with the game. And the rest is history. In my junior year, I made uh, All-City second team. And in my senior year, I made All-City second team, which is quite an accomplishment with the number of ballplayers coming out of the city and the number of high schools they have in the city of New York. June of 1957, my coach called me to the office and said, Hank, Henry, he says, uh, there's a gentleman that uh, is interested in seeing whether or not you'd be interested in going to school out west. Out west? Where? He says, uh, uh, he'll, he'll explain it to you. He said, well, what you got to do, you got to meet them on 40, 40th Street and 10th Avenue. There's a park there, and uh, you're going to meet Mr. John O'Boyle. I never heard of Mr. O'Boyle, but apparently he was like a recruiter. When I got to the, uh, to the park, there was his gentleman, this distinguished-looking gentleman, 
with white hair. It was Coach Stranigan. Mr. O'Ball introduced us. So there was about six of us. And he had explained that he was looking for uh, a guard, and he had already made up his mind about Nick Bruno. And he says, he's looking for a, a forward or a center. Now, I was 6'7", weighing 175 pounds, so you can imagine how big I was. And uh, he ran us through some drills. You know, you lay up with your right hand, you lay up with your left hand. The big guys, I want you to go to the high post. I want you to face left. I face right. Pass the ball. Turn around for the jump shot. Bat, and so on and so forth. We went through the drills. And then his last piece that he asked, uh, Dr. Uh, Mr. Strandingen, Coach Strandingen, he said, can you dunk? Anybody here can dunk. I knew I didn't have a problem with it. So those who could dunk, he said, can you dunk with your left hand? I dunk with my left hand. Uh, can you dunk with your right hand? Yes, I can dunk with my right hand. I dunked. Can you dunk with your both hands? You dunk. He said, now, can you dunk standing from a standstill? I dunked. <laughs> a part that made up his mind says that he's going. So he selected me and Nick Bruno with scholarships to come to Iowa State. You know, it was the first time I have heard of Nick Bruno. It was the first time that I met him. But I was out of Staten Island. He was one of the premier ball players out of Staten Island as a guard, Port Richmond. September 1957, Nick and I, we get on United Airlines. We're flying out to Iowa State. Boy, oh, boy, that was such an excitement. My mother, she, she, was, so, she was so sad by the fact that I was leaving New York. Why wouldn't I stay? in New York, but I knew staying in New York, I'd wind up in trouble. If I went to St. John, I'd be coming home every night. NYU, I'd be coming home every night. If I went to Radnor, I'd be coming home every night. And I know I'd be running around with the same people that was getting themselves in trouble. Not all, but some. And I guess I would have fell in line. So my choice of Iowa State was after meeting Strand again. We talked, and I knew that Iowa State had just went into that ball freeze and that beat Kansas with Will Chamberlain. That was a big thing. I mean, it was all over the newspaper because they went into that. They froze the ball on him. So Coach Stranding and he, after we finished talking, well, they said, all right, fine. We're going to send for you to come out in September. He said, just keep keep working on working out so you'll be all right. And he said, here's our schedule for next year. I looked at the card. It's Kansas. It's Colorado. There's Nebraska, Missouri, Oklahoma. And then I see Manhattan. So, oh, well, I'll be coming, I'll be coming home. <laughs> Long and behold, Manhattan, Kansas. <laughs> That's how naive I was. When I got home, my mother said, what happened? I said, I'm going to, Mom, I'm going to go to school out west. Out west where? I said, Iowa. She could never say Iowa. She said, Iowa? I said, no, Mom, Iowa. Where is Iowa? I said, out west. Out west where? I said, it's, it's, a, it's in the Midwest. Oh, Lord, I lose my son. But uh, it was a joy. And uh, September 19th, 1957, Nick and I, we took off for Iowa State. Coach Anderson, who was a freshman coach, picked us up at the airport and delivered us to where we would be staying. We stayed in Helsa Hall, just open. And I'll never forget my first room was 1410 Forster House. My roommate would be Bud Bergman, who was an upper-class person. And we got along this great. We hit it off real great. I, I think, you know, sometimes things happen you can't explain. I thought it would be pitching posters, wooden sidewalks, no cars with horses. Now, that's naive. That was a cultural shock uh, going out to Iowa. But when I look back and I reflect 
that's the best thing that could have happened to me, me going to Iowa State. I think I matured quite rapidly. I was always a responsible person, and the people I met were just unbelievable. Miss Erskine, uh, the Woolies, uh, the Woolies adopted me and Nick because we both out of New York, and they sort of shared the Thanksgiving with us and Sundays with us. We'd go and eat. So it was a, a choice. I mean, how would I know this? Faith. Faith. That's how I wound up at uh, Iowa State. Did it help that you had Nick with you so you had, you know, somebody else from New York at least to go through that experience with yeah, you? Yeah, Nick and Iowa became very, very – we never ruled together. But we became very, very close. Nick and I became – we were like, like brothers. I moved upstairs on my sophomore year at the Carpenter House where – and Nick was living in Carpenter House at that time, but we were never roommates. And we were very close. We were, we were very, even after graduation, Nick, you know, uh, I'd visit Nick in Staten Island to go over to his, his uh, mom's house, and we'd have dinner at John Crawford, Vinnie Blue, and Ivy. We were so close. And, but it did help having Nick there because we sort of fed off of each other. You know, when I got down, Nick was there to pick me up. When Nick got down, I was there to pick him up. So, uh, yeah, it helped. It certainly helped. Well, Glenn Anderson ended up taking over as your head coach your junior year. Almost immediately, you went down to uh, win that Big Gate holiday tournament. That had to be a big, big thrill. Oh, boy. Let me tell you. Vinnie Brewer came out to Iowa State. That was the piece that was missing. Because, you know, Vinnie was a hell of a ball player. For someone to 6'3", could rebound, could shoot, could drive, and could play defense. The two of us rebounding was like he very seldom got the ball. Going down to the Big Eight tournament, that Christmas tournament, and we beat Kansas, KU, oh, man, that was a thrill. That was a thrill. Oh, God, that was a thrill. It was quite an accomplishment because I don't think they they thought that was going to happen. But uh, we pulled it off for uh, Larry Pye and and Glenn Minty and Bob Stoy and, and Gary Wheeler, and that was one hell of a team. That was one hell of a team. And uh, we, we brought home the bacon. Today's Sidecast is brought to you by Van Wall Equipment. Van Wall Equipment and John Deere are proud to sponsor Iowa Farmers in the field and Iowa State Athletics on the field. Well, you started putting up some pretty good numbers as a junior, and then as a senior, you averaged over 17 points and 12 rebounds a game and got first team all Big 8. That had to be the year that, for you personally, everything kind of came together and you might have maybe started realizing just how good you could be at this game, huh? Yeah, 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 and that's what happened. And that year, everything just sort of came together. Scoring, the rebounding. I always loved to play defense. I was a very physical person. In my senior year, I was drafted number one by the in the ABL at that time by the uh, Chicago team and was the fifth-round choice with the Syracuse Nationals, who are now the Philadelphia 76ers. And I opted to play with, with the ABL, one, because the A.S. Appelstein had it set up so that all those all those players coming out and playing in this league would play against the Harlem Globetrotters, and we would travel around the country paying us $100 a game, all expenses paid, and uh, a lot of us went wound up in the uh, in the ABL. Uh, Bill Bridges, Cedric Price, Tony Jackson. There was a whole crew of us. Twenty five games in twenty seven days, I believe. And that's really globe trying. You also got your Iowa State degree. Sounds like you were really torn between 
you wanted to keep playing basketball, but you also wanted to put that degree to use and go back to New York and, and do some good with that degree. So tell me kind of how it all ended up where you ended up in the ABA eventually. Yes. The year that I played in the ABL, the league folded. I had my degree because I had gone back. Anderson made certain that I came back after my first year playing football to get the six credits I needed to get my diploma. I was picked up by a semi-pro team, the Allentown Jets, played in the Eastern League, but I began teaching school April 1st, 1963, and played the weekend ball in the Eastern League. And there are some very good players in the Eastern League. Matter of fact, a lot of the players wind up, there was a farm system for the NBA. I played in the Eastern League until 19, 1967, the year that they began the uh, ABA. I was a dean at that time in my in my old neighborhood, and the principal had heard that I was being offered to play in the AB, ABA, and I and I kept refusing. I said, "I'm not going to play." I said, "I'm married. I got kids. I can't. I can't. There's no guarantee." But Mr. Klaborik, who was the principal, pulled me in his office and said, "Hey, so you may never get another opportunity like this. If you're worried about your job, don't be worried. Since you go, you play." If anything happens, you can always come back. And that's what I did. And I wound up playing in the uh, ABA until 1970. 69, I got hurt. An injury to my uh, ankle almost. I should have broken it, but I really had a bad strain. And uh, that sort of ended my career as a you know professional athlete. But I came back to uh, my old school. I was welcome. I was back in my dean position and the whole bit. Gradually, you know, getting my master's and everything up. I moved up the scale and wind up as a principal in my old junior high school for 25 years. Everything just seemed to be seemed to be worked out. You know, it's just like I don't even know if I made these decisions; they just happened. And I often look back and reflect on, "Wow, hey, look where you came from! You came from..." And if you're, if you're familiar with Brooklyn, I come from a community, a very poor community, Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Now I can't even afford a house over there. <laughs> but it, it, that's where I came from. And it was a predominantly uh, African-American and Latinos. And that's a section that I, I, I lived in. The school I went to, the junior high school I went to, was predominantly Italian, German, and Jewish. I was the only black kid in my class. But made great, I had great friends, though. I always, always able to make friends. When I reflect on where I came from, I think I really get emotional at times. There weren't many, if any, came out of my neighborhood and reached their true potential. But the neighborhood supported me, and everybody sort of watched over me. I spent those 25 years as a principal of my old junior high school, which was an advantage because I knew the parents. Some of us grew up together, and I had their kids, their grandparents, their uncles and aunts. And they would always say, you know, I know Mr. Whitney, and he's not going to tolerate that. When I decided I was going to retire, June 28, 2001, when I had my final meeting with my staff, and the last words is that this is my last day. Oh, God, what did I do that for? I had to, I had to walk out of the library. I had to lock my, my office, office door because everybody was so upset. I even had parents, and one of the parents who, who, who always gave me a hard time, and I used to always say, but I still love you. And I, you're picking on me now. When she found out I was going to retire, she came to school and said, you, you can't retire. She said, I got two more kids. I got two more kids. She said, no, I said, you're the one making me retire. Oh, she was upset with that. 
Oh, you can't retire, Mr. Whitney, please. And I'm like, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm gone. See what you did? <laughs> What's neat is that education has really played a major role, it seems like, in every chapter of your life. And and, and that time at Iowa State was a, a really big part of kind of forming the foundation of who you ended up being. Yes, it did. It certainly did. When your connection to Iowa State continued as the that pipeline of players from New York kept coming and, and one that came in and ended up being another Iowa State Hall of Famer uh, was Don Smith as a usual yes. Aziz. Tell me, tell me about how you uh, had an assist in helping to bring Don Smith to Iowa State. One of Don Smith's, uh, I think it was, I think it was his uncle Al. Al was a police officer, and Al was assigned to my to my uh, junior high school where I was teaching at, where I was the dean at. He knew I played ball because he was always heavy into uh, getting kids to, in different leagues and, 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 and playing around in church leagues and the whole bit. He came to me and says, "Hey, he said, I got a kid. He's a really, really a nice kid and, and a good ball player." He said, but, you know, this kid, they never offered him any type of offer, uh, scholarship or anything. I said, well, how good is he? He said, he said he's pretty decent. I said, i tell you what, Al, bring him down to uh, my community center, and I'll work out with him one-on-one. Oh, was I impressed. Oh. So I called Coach Anderson. I said, Coach, I got a kid. This kid jumps higher than me. He said, come on, there's nobody jumps higher than you. I said, Coach, believe me, this kid jumps higher than me. Kid by the name of Don Smith. I says, kid is good. He ain't got no scholars. He said, what kind of kid he is? I said, based on what I know, I know his uncle. He's, his uncle is a police officer. I said, this kid is, is a good kid. I like the way mannerism when we met and we talked and the whole bit. So Coach Anderson said, well, I'm going to send for him. I said, Coach, you're not going to regret it. The rest is history. And uh, matter of fact, Don, we keep in touch with each other. He wrote a book and he made a point that. To put me in his book, I think he's living in Seattle, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, he's in the, his name is Zaid. He changed it because he changed his religion. But uh, he had quite a he had a prior run at uh, at Iowa State, and he did well. He did well in the NBA. Well, when I was playing in the ABA, we tried to uh, draft him, try to get him to sign with the uh, New Jersey Americans. He went into the NBA because they obviously got more money. The league was more established. So he wound up in the, in the NBA. He did quite well there. During that era, the ABA certainly didn't take a back seat to the NBA. Uh, there were so many tremendous players in the ABA. And what a colorful league. Just tell me a few of your memories of, of playing in the ABA. That had to be an awful awful lot of fun in your professional career. Oh, boy. <laughs> Especially when you had a coach like Max Vazlowski. Who <laughs> would call timeout and say nothing? <laughs> <laughs> and Max was considered a pretty decent ball player when he played in the NBA. But Max would call timeout and just stand around and say nothing. And it was the players, <laughs> Walt Simon, myself, Laverne Tart, we became the mini coaches or whatever. This is what you got to do. got to box out. we got to do this. we got to do that. It was a horrible league. And they had a lot of horrible ball players. Connie Hawkins, Dr. J. I remember seeing Dr. J. And I said, this kid is, because we played in a tournament together, the only player to win the MVP twice in that league, the Don Bosco League. And I had decided I'm not playing no more. Hey, I'm up in age. I'm not playing no more. The person that handled the Don Bosco team said, hey, so, you know, we don't have to worry about rebounds. So we got to the kid says, uh, he's good. I said, oh, his name is Julius Irvin. I said, I heard of that kid. He said, he's a tough ball player. He says, 
this would be, I know you don't want to play, but come on, play. And we had the uh, guard from uh, the, the Celtics, Jojo White. We played, we, we won the tournament, and I tell you, I was so impressed with Dr. J. It was unbelievable what he was doing. And when I got back to the neighborhood and started talking, I said, they got a kid, man, that's coming up. Boy, this boy is, he, he is, he is good. Now, I, I've known Connie for years because we played against each other in, in the tournaments around the city, Connie Hawkins. And, and, and I think Dr. J really emulated uh, 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 Connie because Connie was doing it all. He was unbelievable because, you know, he was at his IOU. He was a freshman in 1960 at IOU, and everybody was talking about him then, Connie Hawkins. What was it like guarding Connie Hawkins? Connie was very difficult to guard because he could do so many things. He could bring it down the court. He could play guard. He could play center. He could play forward. But I found a secret to, to guard Connie. Connie didn't like physical contact. As great as he was, he didn't like anyone to be physical. Not that I stopped him, but I think I did, I did a good job against Connie. And we became very good friends because I wound up playing with Pittsburgh in the last years of the, uh, the, the ABA with the uh, Pipers. You know, and it's ironic, you know, this past uh, April, they did a thing with the 50th anniversary of the ABA, and they did it down in, in Indianapolis. And initially, I wasn't going to go, but then everybody talked to me. They said, Hank, why don't you go? So, you know, you may not never see these guys again. And uh, I, I'm so glad I went and I saw my old roommate, Doug Moe, Bob Berger. We, we had a great time reminiscing because we were the first to play in the ABA 50 years ago. And it seems That's like yesterday. Day. It was really a great week. And they, 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 did a, they did one heck of a job. You know, Indiana Pacers is one of the teams that was in the league, and they put on they put on quite a show. We all got these rings for 50th anniversary. Nice, nice rings. It was, it was, it was really, it was quite a tribute. It was quite a tribute. You still stayed connected, obviously, to Iowa State too. Tell me a little bit about all your your family connections to Iowa State University to this day. My wife here since passed in, in 2013, but uh, she was I, I met her at, uh, in my uh, junior year. She didn't know who the heck I was. I thought I thought everybody knew who I was, but she did. <laughs> and I guess maybe that's what attracted me, you know, to her. And uh, we got married in uh, 1962 after my uh, first year in the ABL. And we got married in '62. We moved to moved to New York. We had three kids. They're all teachers. Her mother, her mother is uh, still living. Mrs. Griffith is still living. She just celebrated her hundredth birthday. And the, uh, there was a family, there was an African-American family that adopted me when I came to Iowa State. Matter of fact, and John Crawford, because John introduced me to the Wood family. Mm-hmm. And we still stay in touch. Ellen lives in uh, South Carolina, and, and Zoe lives in, in, in Ohio, Dayton, Ohio. We keep in touch and what have you. So I've had some good connections. You had a son that went to Iowa State as well? Is that right? Yeah, Brian, uh, my son Brian. He, he went to Iowa State. He graduated from Iowa State. I didn't want him to go to Iowa State. He was a football player. And I used to always tell him, Brian, you know, you may, you may be coming out of New York City high school football. I said, but, you know, when you go out to Iowa, these guys, yeah, I said, these guys are knocking over tractors. What have you? I don't know. <laughs> no, Dad, I want to do it just like you did. Brian, this is a different world, son. It's, I would play basketball. I didn't play football. But he went out to Iowa State. As a matter of fact, I, I spoke to the coach at Iowa State. He said, hey, we'll put him on the uh, – Partial. We'll take care of his books and, and some other things they would take care of. He went out there and he spent his four years and he got, he got his degree. And my oldest son was born in Iowa and he went to Drake for a couple of years and then he 
Then he came home and because he was becoming a professional student, I couldn't afford it. So I had to bring him home. It all worked out well. You know, God is good. You know, they're all uh, educators. Brian, he's almost close to, to uh, retirement. My daughter, she's, she's a, a school teacher. Her husband is a federal officer with the government. And my son, Brent, the oldest, he's a, he's a teacher. His wife's a teacher. Uh, Brian teaches school and his wife teaches school. So they're all, they're all in the educational uh, field. Well, Hank, I know it's going to be uh, – I know you came back for John Crawford. You mentioned him. You came back when he went in the Hall of Fame, and now it's your turn. That's just going to be a very special weekend. We really look forward to having you back in Iowa one more time in September, and nobody deserves it more than you do. It's going to be terrific to have you back and see you go into the Hall of Fame. You know, it's, it's ironic that you, you say that. One of the fellows called me today that told me that we lost one of the fellows, uh, Bob Johnston, who went to Niagara, and uh, he just passed away. And he was at – John's induction, Tommy Hemans. He came down. He was at uh, at, at John's induction into the uh, Iowa State Hall of Fame. And when I told him that I was being inducted, he's all, man, hang about time. I said, Tommy, everybody can't go in at one time. Ed. Everybody can't sit in the front row. So, You're not taking the back seat to anybody as far as we're concerned. We're... Uh... We're really excited to have you coming back, and uh, thanks so much for taking some time and sharing some memories, and we'll look forward to sharing more memories with you when you come back in September. Uh, thanks so very, very much. I've had a lot of inductions into the Brooklyn USA Hall of Fame, the New York City Hall of Fame, the John Hunter Hall of Fame, and the whole nine yards and what have you. But I think this is very special. This is very, very special. Today's Sidecast was brought to you by Van Wall Equipment. Stop by one of their locations and learn why Van Wall Equipment and John Deere are Iowa's clear first choice. Thanks for listening.